Well, Father God, today we, we feel in this place the, the power of your Spirit drawing us to your love. God, thank you for loving us in spite of who we are, in spite of our sin, in spite of our rebellion. Thank you that no matter what we've done, your love is still extended to us. And thank you for the opportunity today as we worship in this place to give glory to you and to praise you and to lift up your name in glory. Thank you for the living word of God, Jesus Christ. Thank you that we celebrate today in light of your glory and grace that was demonstrated to us through Jesus. God, we want to just celebrate you today. We want to give glory to you today. We want to complete our purpose for why we were created by lifting up our heart to you, engaging our mind with you, being drawn to you, and worshiping you today. And now we continue that worship as we open up your word, and as we look at your word and allow your word to speak into our lives and to draw us even greater to a capacity to love you beyond what we had when we came in here today. God, we want to give you glory. And we want to praise you with our life now as we continue to worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple of things. If you're here and you're a child and you've registered for our children's worship experience, feel free to, to take off back there now. And if you haven't, there are people who can help you register in the, in the lobby area. Um, for the rest of us, uh, let's go ahead and open up our Bibles to one of the most encouraging as well as challenging passages of Scripture in the Bible. Colossians chapter 1, we're going to be looking today at verses 24 through 29. And again, I trust and pray that your experience will be like mine has been this week, that you will be encouraged as we look at God's Word but I know you're going to be challenged by God's Word today as well. I know you just sat down, but in honor of God's Word, let's stand together and let's read this passage. Uh, you follow along with me as, um, as I read aloud. Colossians chapter 1, beginning with verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of His body, that is, the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the Word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to His saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. God, thank you for giving us this challenge from your word today because we recognize and celebrate the fact that this is the word of God. And may it change our lives today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Feel free to take a seat. 
Paul was the author of the book of Colossians. We started a few weeks ago working our way through this little letter that we know as Colossians. At the height of the life of this man named Paul, uh, he was a very popular Jewish leader. And one day he was on his way to persecute other Christians. And God intersected his life. Jesus met him face to face on the road to Damascus. And when he met Jesus, everything about his life changed. He was transformed from the comforts of living a worldly religion that was about rules and regulations. And he was transformed to a life, ironically enough, of suffering for Jesus. See, living a life that's fully devoted to Jesus is not an easy road. Living a life that's fully devoted to Jesus takes courage to stand up with Jesus and stand against evil in this world. Uh, we, we've been very aware the last few days of what's going on in Israel today. Uh, apartment complexes with children and women and citizens are being bombed and people's lives are being taken and we want to continue to pray for them. We want to continue to pray that God's mercy and grace would be around that senseless murder that's taking place there. Living life with Jesus is not easy. But living a life that's fully devoted to Jesus is an opportunity, even through affliction, for us, for believers, to give glory to Him. See, there will be times in your life as a believer when it seems like there is no hope. Non-believers may persecute you with jeers and with threats. That's very possible in the world we live today as as believers. There may be times when disease and health issues challenge your very life system, your very faith system. But you cannot imagine what you can survive as long as you have hope. See, hope, like faith, has a source. And that source is the object of hope that stands through attacks from the enemy, attacks from this world, um, even health issues that may come against us in our life. I know this because on June the 12th, 1960, I followed Jesus Christ in believer's baptism. And when I followed Jesus Christ in believer's baptism, everything in my young life at that point was totally transformed. Everything changed. These past years of my life have certainly been marked by ups and downs. And here's what's ironic about that. Often, the times that we consider to be up times in our life really bring us down because we put our trust and faith in ourselves, and we think we can manage life on our own. On the other hand, Often the downtimes in our life actually bring us up and become the times when we realize that we have to depend on God's power through Jesus to sustain us through the challenges and through the downtimes, through 
the challenges that we have in life. So sometimes, depending on Jesus alone, in fact, all the time depending on Jesus alone, becomes the opportunity for us to experience the greatest spiritual victory that we can have in life. That's the story of my life. And through it all, I have never lost hope for one reason. And we'll look at that reason today. The question for parents that have children, the children that are experiencing worship in their setting today are going to be, going to be answering this question. Where can I find hope to be fully alive? And we're going to find the answer to that as we work through this passage today. So look with me as we discover how to be alive in His hope in this world that has so many things coming against us. First of all, in verse 24, we see that believers have hope in suffering. In verse 24, he says, Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake. Um, last month we did a Sunday night seminar on asking tough questions. You know what the toughest question is that people ask in the world today? It's why does God allow suffering? Why does God allow bad things to happen to, to good people? See, most people in our world today try to avoid suffering. Do you enjoy suffering? I mean, I don't. We're experts, though, at trying to avoid suffering. And many times when we do suffer... We're experts at trying to cover up the fact that we have suffering. Whether it's from hunger or some other discomfort, it's, it's natural when a baby has suffering, has discomfort, that that baby lets the whole world know. I've been around babies a lot the last couple of years. And I've seen that reality. When, when they hurt, they let you know. I mean, they scream and yell and all of that. But check out Paul's attitude here in this sentence. In verse 24, he says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings. That little word now communicates more than just a transition in this, in this passage. See, when Paul wrote this, he was in prison in Rome. Now meant that he was suffering in prison in Rome for the sake of the gospel. It was not from anything that he had done wrong. It was for the sake of the gospel that, that he was suffering. He was in prison, suffering for his faith in Jesus. He was suffering not as punishment, but in fulfilling his call to share the gospel in difficult situations. He had two sources of discomfort, of suffering. The first source was his own people. See, as I said earlier, Paul was in his early life, a Pharisee. He was an expert in the religion of his day. And his own people looked at him as though he was someone who turned on them, a turncoat. He was one who uh, was a defector from the very religion that was trying to persecute Christians to becoming a Christian. So he was looked at like a defector. His own people turned against him. But then also the people he was trying to reach 
the non-Jewish community turned on him because in the non-Jewish community, he was interfering with, uh, with their worship practices, their pagan gods. He was interfering with the economy that some of them were using as a part of their religious systems to, to raise their income. And so Paul was being persecuted. He was experiencing suffering. But look at what he says. He says, now I rejoice in my suffering. And the suffering was on behalf of the people he was trying to reach. I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, in my flesh. So think about today. How many people that you know, how many people do you know, how many people do you love who are stiff-arming you because of your faith in the gospel? I want you to keep those faces in your mind today as we move through this passage because that was who Paul was talking to. He was talking to people who, you know, were in an environment where people actually were rejecting him because he was proclaiming the gospel. Suffering was on behalf of his church. In his flesh, this was physical, real suffering that he was going through. But that's not all. As we unpack this thought, he says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. Now, this appears to be something that's very strange. When you read this, I hope you feel a little bit awkward about this, because when we think about Jesus Christ, we know that he left nothing uncovered with his suffering, But his suffering was for the penalty of your sin. His suffering was so that you might be forgiven for the sin that you commit. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, you've never repented of your sin and turned away from your sin and said, God, I'm sorry. I'm a sinner. Please save me. Then you are repelling what Jesus actually came and suffered for. He suffered for you, for your salvation. And there's nothing incomplete about that. Paul knew that. He knew that uh, your, your salvation is by faith alone, in Christ alone, and it's a gift of God's grace alone that you're able to be saved, that you're able to give your life to Him. If you've never done that, don't let this day pass without surrendering to the message that Jesus came and suffered for to give his life for you, to set you free from the penalty of your sin. So what does it mean to complete what is, to, 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 to fill up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions? Well, see, when, when Jesus died for your sin and was buried and rose again on the third day, He left you the opportunity. He left you the gift of standing up and being counted for Him. And when you do that, most likely, just like Paul and just like Jesus, you're going to suffer some for the cause of Christ. Nothing was lacking in the sacrificial death of Jesus, but when Paul said, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction, he was stating a reality. Are you aware that the greatest expansion times 
of the gospel come through times of persecution, come through times of being people being afflicted for Christ. Uh, this week I read about a Nigerian lady. I'm talking about today in 2023. This Nigerian lady is named Ruth. Ruth was sitting on her bed one day, young lady, reading the Bible, and her young sister came in. Her young sister said, Mom, Mom, Ruth is reading that book that Christians read. Ruth's mom then tried to poison her, kill her, tried to kill her, tried to poison her. Then her brother, she survived that, her brother got a group of Muslim radicals to ravage her, to beat her, to rape her until she was unconscious. Her pastor came and rescued her and began to pour life into her through the gospel. She began to read the Bible more and she began to memorize scripture and she began to take on the idea that suffering for Jesus is worth it. Here's what she said, I made a decision. Now, this is a real person today in 2023. She said, I made a decision that I would forgive those who hurt me. No matter how it hurt and no matter what happened to me, I would forgive. Where did she get the power to forgive like that? Well, she learned that her hope was in her suffering. And not only did she forgive her family, but she today prays for her family to come to know the same Jesus and for them to be set free from their sin, just like she knows. See, the hope of the believer comes alive in suffering in Jesus. Your suffering in Jesus can fill up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. We have the opportunity to follow the pattern of Christ, to follow the pattern of the Apostle Paul, and even be willing to take on affliction for our hope in the suffering that we endure. And we see how that works as we look at the second path to being fully alive. Number two, believers have hope in sharing the gospel. Verse 25, in light of my suffering, he says in verse 25, I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed in his saints. If you're taking notes, if you have your Bible, there are three words I want you to really pay close attention to in this part of the paragraph. Minister, stewardship, and mystery. Minister, stewardship, and mystery. See, technically, a minister is someone who is an agent acting on behalf of a superior, acting on behalf of someone else. He acts upon the authority of another person. Look at where Paul said he gets his ministry from. He says, I became a minister according to the stewardship from God. So he's saying, I didn't choose this journey. God chose me to be one of his children. God chose me to be a minister of the gospel to people God loves. I want you to hear today what God is saying to you. 
God is saying to you, I love you. I've done everything necessary for you to come to know me and to walk with me. That's what God's saying to you today. He's saying when you complete the process of accepting the payment that Jesus Christ made for your sin, then you become one of my children. And after you become one of my children, I have a purpose for you, and that purpose is to tell other people what I've done for you in Jesus Christ. There's work to be done once we come to know Jesus Christ, and Paul understood that. And he understood that he was working under the authority of God himself. So he became a minister of the gospel. That word minister is not talking about, in this context, a preacher or a pastor or a clergy member. is talking about a believer. If you know Jesus, you're a minister of the gospel. You have something to share under the authority of God with people that you love. Paul's mission was to share the gospel to and through the local churches. He said, God gave me the gospel so I could share the gospel with you so that you could share the gospel with others. This church in the Colossian area, this church at Colossae, was there because someone had heard Paul preach the gospel, shared the gospel, and then he shared, whoever that was, shared the gospel with the church in Colossae. Paul mentions Timothy back up in the very first two verses of this passage. Timothy was well known at sharing the gospel with other people. And our challenge today as a believer is to have hope in sharing the gospel. Believers have hope by sharing the gospel. Making the word of God fully known. That's what sharing the gospel is. It's making the word of God fully known to people in our lives. And again, ministry of the gospel is God's idea. Paul didn't make this up. A man didn't make this up. It's God's idea for you to complete the afflictions of Christ by sharing what Christ has done for you. And it's not for our benefit. It's not for the glory and the authority and the power that we have in our lives. It's for the benefit of the kingdom. It's for the benefit of Christ. Paul was given the ministry of apostleship by God, he said, for the benefit of filling up what was lacking in Christ's afflictions. Now, would you agree with me that it's not natural to rejoice in suffering. I mean, all of us have had some kind of affliction, some kind of pain at some point in life. And if you're a believer, you probably have experienced affliction for the cause of Christ at some point. Maybe some rejection, maybe some humiliation. Hopefully not some physical suffering, but maybe so, and it surely might come to that. But it's not natural to rejoice in suffering. It's supernatural. You can only do that when it comes to letting Christ be in you. Our daughter recently gave birth to a baby, a little baby boy, Reuben. 
prior to giving birth to him, those of you who are moms here, I mean, I think, I mean, I was in the room both times that our babies were born, so I know what suffering's all about. But uh, you who have given birth to children, you really do know that there is pain in giving birth to children. But here's the reality. I've never seen a mom who worked through the birthing process and gave birth to a child who said that pain wasn't worth this child. I've never heard of that. And the principle is the same here as well. When, when you let God use your life to share Jesus with someone else and that person comes to know Jesus, there may be some affliction, there may be some pain involved in that. But the gain is so much greater than the pain, right? There's a rejoicing in that kind of suffering. My desire for Palmetto Shores Church, my desire for the people that I dearly love here as members of this church, is that the Word of God be fully known in you, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to His saints. That word mystery is a very curious word. The word mystery in the New Testament refers to something that was formerly hidden in the Old Testament times, formerly hidden, but now is fully revealed in Christ Jesus, fully complete in Christ Jesus. We call the New Testament the New Covenant. Not that the Old Covenant was uh, less than the New Covenant, but everything in the Old Testament comes to life in the life of Jesus. He's the reason for that whole long season of God relating to people through the, through the covenants. But after the life and death and burial and resurrection of Jesus, now everything's crystal clear. We have hope for living in this world in Jesus. And here's my point here. That hope, even though it's a mystery, that hope is worth sharing with other people. The Word of God became fully known through the life and work of Jesus and that good news is worth sharing. Richard Pope. I want you to remember that name. Feel free to go Google that name when you get home today. Richard Pope is a church planter, one who starts a church in Salisbury, Maryland. His early life was a disaster. He was abandoned by his father, then his father came back into his life. He was abused, sexually abused by his father. As a young teenager, he was so disgusted with life and disappointed in life that he tried to take his life. Not just one time, but two times he tried to commit suicide. The second time he tried to commit suicide, he went out into the swamp area away from everybody so nobody could discover him and he could complete his mission of taking his own life. Fortunately, search people found him before he died. They brought him back to the hospital. He recovered again. He went back to school. And when he returned to school, he was bullied by his classmates. 
given the nickname Swamp Boy because all they knew was that he tried to run away out in the swamp and they referred to him as Swamp Boy. There was a 16-year-old friend of his. He didn't call him a friend at the time. But that 16-year-old friend was persistent in sharing the fact to Richard that Jesus loved him. And he wanted Richard to come to know Jesus. Over and over and over again, this young man, under much persecution from Richard, continued to share the gospel with him. And one day, Richard was standing behind the counter, making hamburgers, serving hamburgers for his job. This young man comes in and again shares the gospel with him, and Richard takes the spatula that he's flipping the hamburgers with and slaps the guy on the face with the spatula. He despised, but he knew he, he despised the young man, but he knew the message that he was sharing was penetrating his heart. The young man looked back at him and said, Man, I know you're going through a, a tough life. I know you're going through a tough season in life, but I want you to know Jesus loves you. Regardless of what you've done, regardless of what's been done to you, Jesus loves you and he wants you to give your life to him. Richard ultimately went to church with this young man and Richard heard the gospel at the church and gave his life to Jesus. And at that point, everything in his life changed. Everything in his life turned around. Long story short, he gave his life to Jesus. A pastor came alongside of him and discipled him. He felt God call him to plant a church in Salisbury, Maryland. In the beginning of that process, he was diagnosed with terminal cancer. So he began his battle with cancer at the same time he was trying to start the church. Through it all, though, he kept his faith strong, his new faith strong in Jesus. And in 2020, they were supposed to launch a service on Easter Sunday. You know what happened in 2020. COVID hit. So once again, there was a potential setback for him fulfilling the mission God had given him. He prayed and asked God for guidance, and God said, I called you to plant this church in the midst of whatever happens to you. And God used this young man's life to launch a church that is thriving today in Salisbury, Maryland. Most likely he's going to die with cancer. But he's suffering in the name of Jesus for the glory of Jesus. And God is getting the glory for that. So what does it take to share the gospel? Well, first of all, you have to know Jesus. And as I said before, if you came in here today without knowing Jesus, I pray that you will trust him before you leave here. In fact, right now, you can pray and ask God to forgive you of your sin, to set you free from your sin, to tell him you're sorry for your sin and repent of your sin and turn away from your sin and put your faith in Jesus. So, first of all, you must put your hope in Jesus and begin to share with other people what, what, what Jesus has done for you, how he's changed your life, how he's transformed your life. What does it take to share the gospel? Well, first of all, you have to know Jesus. Secondly, you have to embrace the stewardship of the gospel. Look at what Paul says here. He says, I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. When you know Jesus... You no longer 
make life about you. <laughs> you make life about what He has done for you. And you begin to share what He has done for you through the gospel. You embrace the stewardship of the gospel. Nobody could ever give you anything more valuable than the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when God gives you that gift of the gospel, you become a minister of the gospel. And you have a stewardship. You're responsible for sharing what God has done for you. You put your hope in Jesus. You embrace the stewardship of the gospel. And then thirdly, you love people to Jesus. I mean, it's easy to love people who love you back. But I'm talking about loving people who are hard to love. Loving people who hate God and hate the gospel and hate you because of it. What do you do to that person? You have to show that person that you love them and you keep on loving them. You keep on sharing with them just like Richard's friend did. You never stop loving people with the gospel. And then fourthly, you begin to pray for fruit. You pray that God will produce something in you that affects the lives of other people. And then finally, and very importantly, you pray for courage and humility. Courage that you will not back down from sharing the gospel when you have an opportunity. Humility to look at people like you're not better than them. You don't put yourself over other people. You're not better than anyone. We're all on equal ground. We're all sinners. And our only hope in life is to be set free from our sin by the grace and by the faith that God offers. And so that's what it takes to share the gospel. Putting your hope in Jesus, embracing the stewardship of the gospel, loving people to Jesus, praying for fruit, and then by all means, praying for courage and humility to be firm in sharing the gospel. Now understand this, you can't save anyone. Only God can save a person's soul. But you can love people like Jesus and draw people to Jesus by the way you love them. And you can keep on loving and keep on sharing until prayerfully you see God produce fruit and see that person come to be saved by Jesus. You're saved in order to make the Word of God fully known to other people. I ask myself all the time, I say, Ronnie, do you really love people like Jesus? Are you showing people that you love people like Jesus? And I will challenge you to ask yourself that same question every day as well. So believers have hope in suffering. We have hope in sharing the gospel. And then verse 27, thirdly, the third path to being fully alive. Believers have hope in Christ alone. In Christ alone. Verse 27 says to them, talking about the saints, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. True hope for life and eternity for all people has a source. And that source is in Christ alone. Hope is in Christ alone. So God chose you 
to make known how great among all the people of the world the riches of glory are. Now that's a mystery. Why would God choose somebody like me? Why would God choose you to share the hope of the world which is in Jesus? Because when you get saved, God doesn't, I mean, He could just take you to heaven and, you know, whoop, you'd be enjoying Him and eternity forever. But that was not God's plan. God's plan is to use you to share the hope that is in Christ Jesus. There are two things that Paul points out here. He says it's Christ in you and the hope of glory. Christ in you. What does that mean? Now get this really clear in your mind. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, when you trust Jesus and ask Him to be your Savior and Lord, He comes and lives inside of your life. It's not just you giving your life to Jesus. It's that He comes and lives inside of you. In John chapter 16, 17, before Jesus went to the cross and was crucified, he, he clearly points out the fact that it's imperative that He go to the cross and that He die and that He be buried and that He be resurrected from the grave so that the Holy Spirit could come and live in you. If you're a believer, Christ lives in you. He is residing in you. Wow! I don't know about you, but that, that changes how I look at life. That changes my perspective of life. Christ is in you. Christ alone gives you power to have victory. Christ alone, the hope of glory. Life with Jesus in you gives you a heavenly perspective. It is this mystery that Christ in Ruth in Nigeria enabled her to endure persecution and Empower her to pray for people who persecuted her. It's Christ and Richard in Maryland that enables him to have an eternal source of hope that goes beyond his cancer and goes beyond the horrible childhood that he grew up in. Again, it's in Jesus alone. Christ in you is the hope of glory. So again, you can't save anyone. But God has entrusted believers to share the hope that can turn a sinner into a saint, a sinner into a believer, through the power of Christ alone. You don't have to work to save anybody. You need to just be available to let Christ use you to bring glory to Him through your witness and through your testimony, through your story and leading other people to Christ. That leads me to the final and fourth path to being fully alive today. Believers have hope in godly living. See, when Christ is alive in you, it produces godly living in your life. These two just go right together, just like this passage says in verse 28. Him, talking about Jesus, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ, for this I toil, struggling with all His energy that He powerfully works within me. Paul loved the churches that he planted. 
And he loved the churches that the churches he planted, planted. He, he, he loved people enough to share the gospel with people. And again, I remind you again, I said this earlier, but this is gigantic. He wanted no glory for that. He wanted no praise or credit for that. He only wanted the world to know that the hope that he had in life was in Christ. And when Christ came into his life, when Christ entered him, it produced in him godly living. And that same thing is true for you and me as well. Paul said, Him we proclaim in verse 28. Christ in you, the, the hope of glory, he said. So how do you proclaim him today? How do you proclaim him best? In 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1, here's what Paul says. He says, listen to this now. Are you listening? He said, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Let that sink in for a minute. Paul is saying, I want my life to be so enmeshed with Jesus that I'm living such a life with Jesus that you can look at me and see what it's like to know God. So let me ask you, is there anything in your life that people would look at and not see Jesus? Is there anything in your life that you would have to get rid of in order to truly make and allow the glory of God to shine in your life? That's what he's talking about when he's talking about warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Wisdom is living life from God's perspective. Wisdom is warning everyone that there is a way that seems right to man, but the end of that way of living leads to death and destruction. Wisdom is living from God's perspective regardless of the shifts in culture and the pressure to yield to political correctness types of living in this world. Wisdom is investing in systems that guide generations to know Jesus and to be transformed by Jesus and to live life on mission with Jesus. That's what authentic Christian living looks like and is all about. Is that easy? No. He talks about toiling. That means working extremely hard. That means laboring for the gospel. That's not a cakewalk. That's not an easy way to live. But don't miss this. He says, For this I toil, struggling with all His energy, that He powerfully works in me. See, my toiling is to give up trying to please God, to work my way to God. My toiling is to realize that Christ has come to reside in me and live in me with His energy that He powerfully will work in me to use me to give glory to God and to allow God to use my life to transform the life of other people. This is a powerful challenge for me as well as for you. 
We want to toil as a church in Myrtle Beach to be mature in Christ. That means daily we grow to try to be more and more and more and more like Jesus. To share more and more and more and more of how Jesus has transformed our life. But he's given us the power to do that. I want you to imagine with me just for a moment being in heaven. And coming into heaven and standing and seeing this guy named Paul. You look at his back and in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he shares the fact that five times during his lifetime he was flogged. That means he was beaten with a cat of nine tails with bone and metal on the end of those straps that dug into his back. Five times. Forty lashes less one. Thirty-nine lashes. His back was ripped open for the cause of Christ. Not for anything that he had done wrong, but for the cause of Christ. He said three times he was shipwrecked for the sake of the gospel. He suffered beatings with rods. He experienced hunger for the sake of the gospel, the Bible says. We know that the Bible records three times that Paul was put in prison for the sake of the gospel. And the fourth time he was put in prison, he was executed. He was martyred for the sake of the gospel. One day you come up to Paul in heaven, this same man, and you ask him, Paul, was it worth it? Was it worth it for you to take all those beatings? Was it worth it, worth it for you to be put in prison and humiliated and mistreated for the sake of the gospel. And I guarantee you, here's what Paul's going to say. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. The gospel may bring suffering into our life, but there's hope in suffering. And that hope is in Christ alone. And my prayer for you and me today is that we'll take whatever, whatever hardship, whatever suffering, struggling we have because of the gospel, whatever sickness we face to give us a platform to share the glory of God in the gospel, that we'll be true and faithful to Him just like the Apostle Paul was. God, I thank you today for the truth of your gospel and I know that a message like this is very difficult for us to hear because we we don't like suffering we don't like affliction especially when it comes for something just like being bold enough to share our faith and being humble enough to to take the criticism of this world but God, I pray that out of this church, you will grow people of maturity who will be willing to follow the example of Paul, who follow the example of Jesus, and say to people closest to us who are running hard away from God, if you want to know what it looks like to know God, look at me and validate that by the way we continue to love them in spite of anything that they might do to us or say to us.
or how they might treat us. God, help us to love people like you love us so that people we love can come to love you in the same way that we love you. That's my prayer, God, in Jesus' name.